Tonight we have a nice special introduction before we get on with the show. Tonight's episode we have Brett Culp, but before we get to Brett Culp, um, we're going to talk some convergence, we're going to talk what Greg Silverman had to say over the weekend with WB and the ongoing Batman v Superman Justice League stuff. So usually when we have guests on, they come on for about an hour, hour and a half, and just sit and talk, talk Batman with us. But Brett Culp is a very... Yeah, he's so busy. He's very busy. He only was able to give us 30 minutes, which is great. And the fact that he gave us 30 minutes like, is just... Thank you. Because wow. at yeah. first he said, I can only do 20 minutes. So he was kind enough to give us an extra 10 minutes of uh, of uh, his storytelling, his content, yeah. what's going on. And it was a great episode, and we, we're going we're gonna to mash these two together. Um, and it's going to be a great show. We have a fan coming on tonight to talk about Convergence. Convergence is friggin' confusing, yeah, guys. Yeah, really confused. What's, what's um, if you were confused about Convergence, you are not the only one. Don't feel like a bat idiot. Um, it's confusing. Kyle, you think it's confusing? I don't know what the fuck's going on. There you go, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's what we got going on tonight. Um, this will be the... First time in a while that we've actually recorded because the Mark Hughes stuff was from like a month ago. Then we rode the Almiande cloud for a while. <laughs> that you mean that wave? Uh, I ride clouds. It's like a tsunami. What are you talking about? <laughs> so be, let's get right into it. Over the weekend, uh, the Hollywood Reporter did a nice, uh, a nice interview with uh, Greg Silverman who. Is like the I, I I won't say he's the Kevin Feige of WB or the DCCU, but he is like the man. I wouldn't say he's in he's charge. like the Kevin Feige. I mean, I uh, guess is he the Kevin Feige? I don't know. Like they're I, they don't really have that role right now. I I don't yeah, think. I don't know. It looks like he's kind of uh, raised his hand to be in that position at this point. So I'm gonna read you uh, from the his interview from the Hollywood Reporter on some of the things that he had to say, and we're going to discuss it a little bit. Um, this, is, this is what he had to say. We have a great strategy for the DC films, which is to take these beloved characters and put them in the hands of master filmmakers and make sure that they all coordinate with each other. You'll see the difference when you see Batman versus Superman, Suicide Squad, Justice League, and all the things that we are working on. There's intensity and a seriousness of purpose to some of these characters. The filmmakers who are tackling these properties are making great movies about superheroes. They aren't making superhero movies. And when you're trying to make a good movie, you tackle interesting philosophies and character development. There's also humor, which is an important part. So Justin, you said earlier, I want you to say to, to the fans here what you said to me earlier about that statement you just read. I don't remember. About... Uh, about where he said that uh, they're making great movies with. Oh yeah, and... yeah. It's uh, after the second Avengers uh, film that came out, there's been a lot of like, I've been hearing like back channels, people talking about on Twitter about how the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as good as it is, as great as it is, and how um, good they are giving fan jobs to the fans and everything. That there really isn't that uh, emotional complexity within the. Marvel Cinematic Universe that you get within the DC Universe. Um, there's there's not the character development. Like, there was really no character development in the last Avengers film. Um, there wasn't that uh, really great uh, cinematic uh, ending to the that movie. Like, it's just pretty much, like, like at the end of the movie, it's just uh, Robert Downey Jr. driving his car away. Like, like yeah. it's... It, it's interesting to see how they're they're talking about how we're making they're they're making great movies with superheroes in it. I really like that line because yeah, we I want great movies that have superheroes superheroes in it. I don't want just 
uh, superhero movies. I want great cinematic experience that's going to have, it's going to talk, that's going to tell a story, that's going to have character development, it's going to have arcs, it's going to have humor in it. It sounds like, uh, like it sounds, it seems like they are finally they have their ducks in a row. Mm -hmm. um, but the, before we like really tackle that issue, he does go on further and talk about uh, how um, they are they have multiple writers for different pro for um, for a few projects and you know, they have one or two writers for other projects with one singular voice and that's interesting because that's something that we've heard before like they have like a few writers writing different scenes for like Wonder Woman they kind of throwing it all out there with that movie which to me is kind of weird to have so many uh, cooks in the kitchen yeah just throw I mean, it at the wall and see what sticks it just don't make sense well I mean what do you think about that? When you when I t when I was talking about that Kyle with uh, the multiple uh, cooks in the kitchen, does that concern you? Or are you worried about that? I'm always a little concerned when I hear that they've had to bring in multiple people to work on a single project. Not that it's always a bad thing. There has been good things to come from tactics like that, but you just get a little you get inconsistencies sometimes when you do that, and that's the only thing that really worries me is that if we bring in all these different writers and they're all throwing their ideas at the wall that not all the ideas are going to fall in places, and it's a, there's going to be a little bit of inconsistency between different movies. Right, and what's what they've been able to do, the DC films, is they've been able to attract good filmmakers. So that gives me, and I said this the other day on, on Twitter, and I, you know, I got a little bit of, a, I wouldn't say, I guess scorn a little bit, because like, I said there was, I had a sigh of relief when I was hearing what he was saying about that and they're able to attract the good filmmakers like Zack Snyder we finally got the official announcement that James Wan's directing the Aquaman movie oh yeah that was awesome um, so they're they're able to attract these filmmakers these really good writers to these projects so I I'm seeing a lot of faith given to those people to do them just and it seems like they're letting the filmmakers kind of do their thing like okay here's the overall story but we're not going to breathe down your neck like it seems like Kevin Feige does. And we've talked about this with other people before, with Al Mayembe, with uh, Mark Hughes, where it's filmmaker-driven. And like that's what I was hoping for. I want good superhero movies, like great superhero, great movies with superheroes in it, is what they said. So um, it, it gives me a sigh of relief. I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, obviously Batman v Superman, and I'm really looking forward to Suicide Squad, because here we are again, another great filmmaker who, who's willing to attract good people to these movies, like Will Smith, and, uh, I mean, they almost had Tom Hardy in the movie, like, there's reasons for these people to be attracted to the DC Cinematic Universe. It all started with Ben Affleck. Now we, um, they got so many other people. Like, I don't think Jared Leto is going to be in a in a superhero movie unless there's something to really pique his interest. You know, obviously the Joker is one of those things, but I don't I don't I don't see Jared Leto doing a superhero Joker movie in a Joel Schumacher film. Now a David Ayer film, yes. Now I think that he came to the project because of the being. Because of that, what do you think about that, Tom? You know, I think that you're right. You know, like who, they're not going to pass up the the opportunity to work with somebody that has the track record, such as someone like David Ayer has. Like he's he's the reason that these people are attracted to these types of films. Like years ago, people were ridiculed when they were when they, they decided they were going to take the the superhero route you know and in, in acting and now it's just everybody and their mother is ready to see superhero movies they love them i mean kids love superhero movies teenagers adults to grandparents even like it's become insane and we have these huge directors to thank for that because without their their visions and without their know-how to set this stuff up to make it as in-depth and as exciting as they've made it over the past 
what, 15 years almost now, like... Right. And, and it's well, just, they're attracting... Like, who doesn't want to do a superhero movie now? Who doesn't? Especially if it's directed by someone like David. Or Zack Snyder. Or Zack Snyder. Or James or Wan. Any of these people. Yeah, exactly. Like, who wouldn't jump on that opportunity? And you look at who they got for Wonder Woman and Patty Jenkins. Um, she directed Monster. That won Charlize yep. Theron a Academy Award for her portrayal. Like, these are... They're not filmmakers who are driven by character and by story. They're not straight off the indie wagon. They're seasoned veterans, and they know what they're doing. Right. It's proven to work time and time again. And it's it's good to see that. Like, you know, can anyone tell me, can any of you guys tell me who directed the Ant-Man movie? No, no fucking clue. Like, it was getting at one point... Who the original director was? Like, who's directing it now? Who directed it now? It was originally Edgar Wright. But who, who's directing the third Thor movie? I don't know. Like, who directed the second one? Nobody knows, but people know who these filmmakers are who are directing the DC. And I'm not trying to take a stab at the Marvel Universe. There's, they have some really good movies and some not really good movies. Like, Captain America 2 was incredible. Yep. Did I enjoy Avengers? Yeah, I had, it had its moments, but it was not, for me, it was not better than the first Avengers movie. So, some people are looking at me like I'm a, fool and a dumbass, but they don't need to be on this fucking podcast. That's everyday life when you're in the fucking <laughs> podcast cave, man. Um, but yeah, like, the, it's it's good to see that they're getting... That they fucking care. Yeah. It's they, good to see that they care. And they are able to get these directors, like James Wan, who's been in the horror horror game for how long? With the Insidious movies, and he just directed Fast and Furious 7 that has made, like, one and a half billion dollars. Like, like that's crazy. A fast like Fast and the Furious movies are pretty much all the same. Like there's nothing yeah. new to it. Cars, money, shoot at people, hot girls, pretty girls. Yeah, fast cars. No so, Paul Rudd. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, like it's it's interesting to see this. It's like what Greg Silverman has say was like a nice sigh of relief for me. It sounds like they have really good things and you know I liked it how he kind of like threw in like yeah there's humor in it too because a lot of people say oh my god these movies are too serious I like serious movies they don't I don't need to see Batman you know too jokey I like I thought how Batman like the portrayal of the Batman movies the last few years you know well, come on everyone thing. loves that one liner well I guess that's how that feels come on <laughs> who doesn't like that one like there, like there's Batman comedy's great. Well, you know, if you look at uh, you know, Batman Begins, where Alfred's like, yeah, well, you know, you know, fill up the roles when you're done with it because everything's mine now. It's like, all right, or The Dark Knight with the Joker, you know, in his comedy. Like, there's humor in these movies, but at the end of the day, they're more. The tone is more serious. They're looking for, like, a more cinematic universe. Like, what do you when you think of like a movie like The Godfather? You're not look, there's humor in that. There's some funny things in that, but overall, like, you're, like, it's not, like, you think of that as a serious, very, very serious film with that tone. Yeah. It's, like, I wouldn't say dark, but more mature, more adult. I think that's what they're trying to gear their films to, more of the, you know, the adults instead of the kids. Like, yeah, like, I feel like The Flash and Green Lantern, you know, you know, the people behind the Lego movie and the 21 and 22 Jump Street, like, they've been in talks with uh, directing the Flash movie. Like, like they're not one of the hottest directors right now. They're in talks with Warner Brothers to direct the Flash movie. That's just another point I'm trying to make. Like, they're able to get really good filmmakers to these projects. So, uh, so now we're going to lead the conversation right into convergence. So Tom's going to hit stop. No, I'm not. We're just going to keep rolling. I don't Tom's bus doesn't stop here. <laughs> Welcome to the show, uh, fan of Shailen on Batman, uh, Rodrigo Parga. Uh, say hello, Rodrigo. What's going on, guys? How are hey. you tonight, sir? I'm doing very well. How about all of you? We are good. Just Excellent. Just kind of warm in the podcast cave. But yeah. It is what it is. So... We're going to talk some Convergence with you because I asked on Twitter the other day, who's been reading Convergence? Because I keep hearing all these crazy rumors, these like weird storylines that are going on. Like we, and like 
luckily Rodrigo's like, yeah, like I've been reading it. It's, I was like, okay, so how is it? He's like, it's really good, but it's really bizarre. So what, what he's going to do is he's going to like talk about what's been going on because I've heard rumors like Tim Drake's the new Batman and Batman beyond, like, I don't know what's going on. Like, so when, so how do you, what do you think of the, you've been reading like all the, the issues and the tie-ins, correct? Yes, uh, I've read zero through eight, which is the main storyline, and the tie-ins. Uh, I had to pick carefully because not none of them have anything to do with the main story. They don't affect or help you understand. Uh, it's pretty much just to show you, hey, during all of this happening with the main characters, here are the background guys, and that's pretty much what the tie-ins are for. Wow, wow. Yeah. So, how are you able to navigate? Before, actually, before we do that, how long have you been reading comics? I wanted to get into that. Yeah. Oh, geez. Well, seriously, uh, seriously, I would have to say maybe the last four years. Uh, but I've, through my older brother's influence, have had an understanding since, man, I think maybe 2001, I was reading Grant Morrison. I was in the first grade, all the old GLA stuff. And uh, actually, to understand Convergence, you know, unfortunately, this is one of those nerd issues where you have to have a decent understanding of the DC universe to really navigate some of the more detailed, important parts. And uh, I have to say some of my, my reading from back then has really uh, come in handy because the, we really see a lot of characters like Barry Allen from Christ's on infinite earths. We see pre 52 Superman left off mm -hmm. with a pregnant Lois. What? Um, <laughs> yes. That, uh, you heard me correct. That's pregnant. Pregnant Absolutely. Lois Lane. Yes, we have Flashpoint, as you guys all recall. Uh, Barry had to run back to restore the timeline, correct? Yes. Yeah. Never happened. What? Never happened. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to get that in a minute. You see, it's already bizarre. <laughs> wow. That never happened. Uh, you look all the way back at gold. the Golden Age, the Silver Age. Uh, we're even going to see the crime syndicate from the 60s for a while here. We see Justice League 1 million, Cal Kent. Um, the yeah, the mysterious unknown Batman of the uh, of that <laughs> century. It's really crazy, and it's those key players. Like I said, Barry from uh, Crisis, uh, pre fifty two Superman, guys like that. Parallax, Hal Jordan. He comes out of his self exile and plays a big role in this. It's crazy. So let's talk about since this is like. Batman, a Batman-oriented show. We love the DC characters, but this is Batman. So let's talk about the the Batman tie-ins because Kyle's and Tom have been. Re I haven't been able to catch up with that. Kyle and Tom have been reading it. Not very far, but yeah. But they're like, it's really bizarre because Thomas Wayne and Bruce Wayne are both Batman. I don't, yes. Like, so let's talk about that. Okay. Well, we see Thomas Wayne for the first time in Flashpoint. And okay. we see that touched on briefly, briefly. And Convergence doesn't give a whole lot of explanation for those minor details. You'll see Thomas Wayne in Flashpoint. Then we'll flip over to Earth 2, which is important to understanding on what's happening with Bruce and his father meeting. We have Earth 2 where Thomas Wayne is still alive. But as you guys know, uh, the original Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are dead. And we have this whole new slew of heroes trying to figure themselves out. And uh, this Earth is only five years old. This reality is not old. And uh, we have Thomas uh, and his son's memory taking up the mantle. And um, you might wonder, like I did, how is this man in his 60s going to go up and fight like a Bruce Wayne in his prime? And what he has is a pill called uh, Miraclo. That enhances his strength similar to Venom, uh, but the effects are a little longer lasting. So... We have Thomas Wayne, and Telos goes and plucks all of these characters from their different realities. Uh, everyone's kind of like, what's happening? Just before Flashpoint resets everything, everything blinks, bam, I'm in a dome. Just before Barry runs uh, and cancels out the anti-monitors of energy, bam, I'm in a dome. And so they're all looking for each other, and when Thomas sees Barry's reality and he sees Pre-52 Superman's reality, he thinks... Maybe my son is here. So we see them reunite actually as early as issue number two. And he is out looking uh, for him. And the Batman we see here, this is where it's going to get tricky, is the Batman we see in Batman Incorporated. Okay. Now, all of us uh, so far 
have thought, well, incorporated is New 52 Superman, right? Because the issues have continued, right? Uh, Batman's can't, his arc has never ended. It's continued. That's one of the few characters whose story did not reset in the New 52. Uh, so we're all thinking, well, it's canon then. And we find out it's not um, because we've been we've been getting origins, newer origins for uh, the Batman canon itself, Batman himself, and characters in the New 52 reality. And we see that the origins, that the retellings we've received within the New 52 of Batman and the Bat family... Jason Todd, Damian, Dick, Tim, all of those, including Tim becoming Batman Beyond, which I'll touch on in a minute, uh, is all very much only New 52. So we have Batman Incorporated, and this leaves him off on patrol Damian when this dome comes down. And, uh, of course, he's going back to the cave. He's figured out what's happened by now, and they reunite. And we see Dick Grayson, who's followed Thomas Wayne from Earth 2. And in this reality, Dick Grayson was never a Robin. He was never a crime fighter or anything. Uh, he was a writer. He never uh, lost his parents. He's married to Barbara. They have a child. It's it's pretty wow. crazy. And How are you able to navigate through all the... Through all... Because to me, it's like very muddy waters, and it seems and, like... Like, as soon as I got to the part where... Like, Bruce Wayne's talking to Alfred on Earth 2, and Alfred's like, holy shit, I kind of don't know what's going on, but you need to yeah. meet your dad? Like, yes. I was fucking lost, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was for a minute, too, and I, you know, I, it took me a couple reads. I had to go back and reread the issues two, three times to really get it. And uh, there, it's like one giant run-on sentence, and unfortunately, <laughs> that's just, it's kind of how they laid it out for us. Like, okay, here you go. Here's Convergence. In its entirety, and if you don't get it, well, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> and that's kind of how it is. And I was like, man, you know, at first I thought, this sucks. I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to get it. I started reading it the first time. I thought, I kind of get it, but I'm this too sucks. lazy to, you know, kind of go further. Um, so what do you, what's your overall thoughts on the writing and the storytelling of it? Do you like it? Are you a fan of it? Or are you kind of like, Ugh, I wish they would just kept going with the new 52 and just kept going on because it seems like they're back. Are we back to zero again? Because I keep seeing like number one, two, three and like, absolutely. The universe itself is not reset. I'm a huge fan of the writing in general. Uh, convergence writing. Ah, uh, man, you know, I love DC. I love all of their work. I felt parts and, you know, this might've been on purpose, but I felt some things were a little sloppy some of the writing, mm -hmm. things weren't totally organized. They kind of just said, you know, here's the main action. Meanwhile, here's this over here. Then you come back to the main plot point and things have happened. You go, what happened? And there's no clarification. It's like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, in the meantime, and it kind of flips to that. So I'm not a huge fan of the way they put Convergence together, but I like how it ended. And I, I really appreciate what's happening with the universe right now. Now, you asked me about resetting the universe. And what that is, is we find at the end of Convergence, uh, are you guys familiar with the Time Masters? No, I'm not. No. Okay, the Time Masters are, think of them as the Jedi Council of the DC Universe. Okay. They sit outside of space and time, and they see all of existence, every multiverse. And what they did is they saw when Superman pushed Brainiac into the black hole yeah. at the end of Dune, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Brainiac obviously saw all those realities and thought, wow, I wonder what happens if I put them together. This is not the true form of Brainiac. And uh, here's what's kind of important to know. We see Brainiac talking to Superman, the New 52 Superman, uh, outside of time and space. And we blink away from Time Masters. And if that's confusing, that's my that's uh, exactly what I'm talking about when I tell you they don't go back or touch back on or explain any of the the details is you go, okay, where are the time masters? Oh, okay. I guess I just have to move on with the story. So he tells him there have been many reincarnations of myself over many realities. And this is where you're like, what? We see Brainiac from justice league unlimited, the cartoon. We see Brainiac from the golden age, silver age, pre 52, every reincarnation, uh, the super friends, Brainiac, all of that stuff, legion of, uh, superheroes, everything. And you, you all of a sudden, it's, you're kind of shoved into the story and you go, well, I guess that's canon now. Um, I'll, I'll go along with it. <laughs> he tells him, 
the universe can only reset so many times. And he shows him crisis. He shows him everything before that flashpoint. He said, it's doing this too many times and time is cracking in half. Uh, if this explodes, there will be nothing. Nothing will exist. There's nothing. And I need one reality for the energy to regulate. And the whole point is to pluck all of these different times out and have them fight uh, to the death. So it's a lot like Hunger Games where they are in a dome, just like in Hunger Games, and you hear Brainiac's creation, Telos, speaking to them saying, uh, in the first round, it's Flashpoint Aquaman versus um, Justice League 1 million Batman. Or you might see it's Batmite versus Wally West. Bizarre matchups. Bizarre. So it sounds like you, you're a fan of some of it, but you're like, what the hell is going on? Do you Completely think that, unnecessary. Do you, do, you, uh, do you think that DC is just kind of doing this as like... Uh, as like uh, just to get more readers, like this is just like a huge like publicity stunt, or do you think they're actually like trying to tell good stories? What What are your well, thoughts on that? Not at all. Trying to get more readers. If anything, I can understand how people would leave. Not at all. Uh, this is incredibly confusing for people that just got started on New Fifty Two. I know many people that jumped on right when Fifty Two started. They thought, okay, now is the time I can get into it, and they're like, you know what? I thought I can read this and not understand the other stuff. Uh, I don't know about it now. Uh, they they kind of left it all together, right? Because we were talking with a few past guests that are like, we've been I've been hearing these things about this convergence, and I'm gonna buy all the issues, but I probably won't read them. So it's like, yeah. it's like, yeah, uh, man. So I I just don't like I I I'm just confused. I just don't understand what why they kind of like stopped with the new fifty two, and did do you know like if DC's like actually said. Like, this is why we're doing Convergence. Like, like Absolutely. And in as little time and as as uh, as little time as possible and I, I want to say as – it's going to be confusing. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Just go so for it, man. As little time as possible. I'm going to try to sum that up. So what they're doing is – this is housekeeping. And you have uh, the Time Masters. Well, we find out they're dead. A man named Deimos is around, and Earth-2 Justice League sees him getting chased by Telos' robots. He says, oh, I need help. I'm being chased, persecuted. What he does is he's leading them to uh, Skartaris, which is a place we haven't seen since the Justice League cartoon. And uh, it's outside of space and time where some of the last of the Time Masters exist. Deimos kills them, so he has existence over, uh, he has full control over existence, so past, present, future. Uh, he's telling all the cities, he seemingly destroys Brainiac and overpowers Telos, and he tells the cities, uh, none of you have to die, worship me. And all the domes come down, and all of a sudden, everybody from the 60s up until now is coming on to each other, and they're fighting, it's a melee, and Parallax says, you know what, I'm not going to worship anyone, I'm Parallax, you know. So he kills Deimos. And what happens is all that energy explodes out into everywhere. And it flips right back to New 52. And we see all the Justice League on the Watchtower and they're like, oh, wow, look at this on the computer. Look what I found. Everyone's kind of going over. Kind of looks like there's a fight happening. And we see tachyonic activity being picked up. And all of a sudden, uh, you see a rip in time and you blink all of a sudden to Superman and Supergirl saying, oh, it looks like there's a fight happening somewhere. Gosh, cousin, well, I hope they win, and then we don't see them again. What? Wow. Yeah, that's all it is. It's it's kind of dumb, but you can't, you laugh at it, so you're like, okay, it's not that bad. So that's that happens like that, and but Brainiac, Brainiac comes back and tells them, you know, I'm mortally wounded, and I haven't always been like this. Uh, I, I was a Kaluan, I was chosen uh, to be our planet's Brainiac, and I was so consumed with seeking out knowledge that I lost myself. And in Redemption, uh, he tells them, I can counter this explosion of energy by destroying myself. Uh, in doing that, I'll, everybody that ended their time has to go back, and it has to happen. So Barry, you have to die again. Uh Supergirl from P-52 has to die in crisis again. Superman, who had who just saw his newborn baby, has to go back. And they make it sound like he has to die, although he never dies. They don't explain that at all. It's That's kind of horribly written. 
Naturally. And <laughs> it, it, it's not explained at all. Oh and you go, God. okay, so they show a clip of Barry running around the monitor again. They show Supergirl dying out in uh, the middle of nowhere. They show all the timelines all over again. And you see a big picture uh, with all the realities and all the Earths and all of them uh, in these really neat action shots. And uh, a dialogue by Brainiac and Tello saying, all is how it should be, all continues, and then bam, that's it. And so what this is, is everything in the DC Universe that has happened in all of the comic book's creation, everything. So that means from the 30s up until now is canon. And what we are seeing with the reset of issues is just the specific storyline of those characters from this time. Which means Earth 2, uh, pre-New 52... Golden Age, Silver Age, all of those are just different realities. And stories can still be played out, but they'll take place in their respective times. So all they're giving us is a continuation of the New 52 superheroes. Okay. Okay, so that makes sense. So, like, we, we were talking the other day. It's mm -hmm. like that episode of Power Rangers where it's like every Red Ranger that was ever a Red Ranger yes. comes down to fight yeah. evil, right? <laughs> right, just like that. So, just like that. So when he, when we talk, when we were talking about that, I was like, all right, that's pretty cool. But at the same time, it's like, it sounds like at the stories in itself aren't aren't very good. It's just like kind of cool to see kind of everyone team up and fight together. Yeah, it's more of like your cool Saturday morning kid dream. Oh man, everyone's beating each other up, and it looks really cool. And that's kind of what you have to take the story for. A little kind of crappy explanation as to how they're gonna tidy up the DC universe, organize it, I should say, or it's kind of filed away. And you just watch everybody beat each other up and you have to take it uh, for what it is. Not a great narrative. Really need to watch certain people fight. I mean, we even see injustice uh, in the first issue. Uh, we see the injustice, uh, Batman and Superman uh, arguing for a bit. And we realize, hey, injustice is canon now. You know, uh, that can continue in its own story. So that's kind of all it is. It's interesting to hear it, but are you are you uh, looking forward to like? Because is Convergence going to like end in a few months? Are they Convergence is done? Yeah, okay, it is so it's done. Mm -hmm. So so because I rem so are they gonna, so okay? So if it's done, they're going to get back to. I think they're dropping issue forty one of the Batman with Jim Gordon as Batman. Yeah, so what this is, is uh, at the, as we all know, Endgame ended with Batman and Joker at the bottom of the city and that Dionysium pit, right, struggling. Right. And he held him back there so that massive uh, chunk of rock would fall on them. This is three months later. There has been no Batman. And Bruce has had plans because he's always planned for his death. And Alfred even mentions that when he started this, he knew it would only end with his death. And he's always wanted it to be like this. And he knew it would be like this. Jim and Batman both knew there has to always be a Batman in Gotham. There has to always be a Batman. It's the only way order will exist. And they haven't explained to us yet, but somehow Gordon is in the Batcave. He uh, has a mech suit, and it's labeled GCPD. So I'm assuming that the police department has these mechanized bat suits and his own Batmobile. And he has been patrolling as Batman lately. That's it's. What do you think about it? <sighs> you know, I've had enough time where I can wait until something plays out to make a decision. It's not bad. I know it's not going to be. I mean, it's, it's Batman, their biggest cash cow. No way, Jim Gordon's going to be, you know, new Batman. So I'm going to enjoy it as it plays out. I'm going to enjoy watching Clark go. Hey, wait, you're not Bruce, and watching them fight. Uh, because that fight is coming in the next uh, issue or two. And um, I'm okay with it. I mean, we know Batman's going to come back. They've already announced a new villain, um, Bloom, I believe. And he kind of looks like Slender Man. So we're going to see what's up with that. But I'm, I'm fine with it uh, because I know it's all going to get ironed out. All right, man. Thank you so much for all that knowledge you just dropped on us. Uh, Rodrigo Parga, follow him on Twitter at Rodrigo underscore Parga P A R G A, and he's gonna be our like go-to comic book guy. Like whenever we have a question, comic correspondent. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna come to him and like, what the hell is going on? Like, why is Jim Gordon Batman? I'm retarded. Explain this to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, for sure. Uh, 
thank you so much for coming on, man. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, like, you definitely, like, cleared a lot of those questions up for us and made it, like, I now I'm kind of excited to read just how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, now you can read it, and you guys can all come right back to me to explain anything. Oh, yeah, for awesome. sure, for awesome. sure. Thank you so much, man. Well, thank you for having me on the show. It's been a real privilege, and I can't wait to come back and answer more questions. Awesome. That's Definitely. Like comic correspondent very much. Awesome. Awesome, awesome man. Thank you. And here is our feature interview with Brett Culp, director of Legends of the Night. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 34 of Shanlin on Batman. I'm Justin Shanlin. Mm -hmm. It is our honor and privilege to have on a man who directed off one of the most inspirational films that I've ever seen. It brought tears to my eyes. And yesterday when we were talking about it on Facebook, you know, promoted it on Facebook, uh, one of the fans of Shanlin on Batman, uh, Alex Cisneros, wrote this, Brett Culp. Thank you for the film. It reminded me of a time when me and my dad would cut my me a yellow cape and mask. I'd run around his textile factory fighting crime as Robin, throwing batterings made of plastic hangers. The film also reminded me of the power of belief, not only in of yourself, but in imagination, stories, and literature. Thanks again. Thank you for coming on, sir. How are you today? Oh, I'm great, man. After that, I don't feel like I have anything I need to say. Right? I was going to say, that pretty much sums it up, man. Like, that, yeah. your film is so powerful and moving and just, like, like, like Justin just said, like, I cried the whole way through it. It was amazing. I've seen it six or seven times now, and every time I watch it, it just, it's so powerful, so, and it just so emotionally gripping that it just, every time you just are able to pull something out of it more inspirational than the first, that previous time you've watched it. So thank you for that. Thank oh, you. my pleasure. Well, and, and if you can imagine, you know, the, the emotional roller coaster of making a movie like that, oh because, you know, I'm, I, you know, you're, you're watching it for 78 minutes or 76 minutes or whatever it is, but, you know, going through that, really diving into those stories and, connecting with those people i mean i spent i spent the better part of three years you know not only producing the film but then sharing the film with the world i spent most of that time crying because you know it's just not only was the film and the stories in it so amazing but then the way and i'm sure we'll talk about this but then the way we chose to distribute it and share it and the way people responded to that and the way they've responded to this movie throughout the entire journey has just been such a powerful um, emotional reminder of the power that all of us have to be heroes like Batman. So what is your first exposure to Batman? Was it a comic book? Was it the 66 television series? Was it Tim Burton's Batman 89 film? Well, I mean, I have a picture of my first birthday. Uh, I have several pictures, in fact, that my mom has given me. And I mean, I have a Batman birthday cake and I'm, wearing a Batman birthday hat, sitting on a Batman tricycle, wearing a Batman t-shirt. That's awesome. So, you know, I, I mean, I can't even remember my first birthday party, but there I was with that. There's a picture of me holding my sister for the very first time at the hospital. I was three years old. I'm wearing a Batman shirt. Um, so, you know, I mean, this character has just been part of my life. Travis Langley says in the film, it's like the sky. I mean, you can't remember the first time you saw the sky. It just yeah, was always there, too. is always there. And I loved it when he said that because that's a great expression of of my personal experience with Batman. So, I mean, I liked that character, you know, growing up. And then when, you know, Tim Burton's 1989 Batman movie came out, that was like a renaissance for me of that character and a new way of looking at him in a way I, I kind of feel like it, I, I get to be in this lucky position that Batman in some ways has kind of matured as I have matured. You know, Batman, when I was five years old, was Super Friends cartoons and Adam West reruns. And, you know, then about the time I turned 13, I was introduced to you know, Batman through, you know, Michael Keaton and, you know, Michael Uselin and Tim Burton's Batman movie. And then a little bit later was the first time I picked up a great, uh, you know, a, a Frank Miller graphic novel. And, you know, then about the time I turned, you know, in, into my mid to late 20s is when the Christopher Nolan movie started to come out. And I was at an age where I could really appreciate the sophistication of what he was doing. So I kind of feel like Batman you know, has matured in some ways and broadened 
I would, it's probably a better way to say it, you know, as I have grown up and it's been a joy to see him that way. What motivated you to start this project? Because you said it took about three years from start to finish. So that's a, that's a, that's a long time to be doing a project for that long. What, what motivated you and what kept you going throughout the project? Well, I think on a superficial level, you know, I love Batman, I love superheroes and comic books and superhero stories. And so I think that was that was on a superficial level, the motivation. When I look back now, I can see clearly in retrospect that my children were a big emotional motivation for me. Uh, my my youngest son was diagnosed probably about a year and a half, two years before I even started this movie, he was diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. And, you know, my wife and I have had quite a journey, you know, understanding Judah and understanding who he is and who his identity is. And I think as we went through that process with him, I had this strong feeling in me that as, you know, we hit certain roadblocks in his school and in his development and we would have experts say things to us about what his limitations were going to be and about what he wasn't going to be able to do and you know painting a picture of his life i as a father had a strong desire in me to send a message to my son that you can be a hero um that that, that is at your core who you can be what you have the power to be and i think as a father I was spending a lot of emotional energy and thought trying to find ways to communicate that to my son. And I think that even shaped this film in a way that I didn't understand at the time. I started out making a documentary film that was going to be about the cultural influence of Batman. But I think where my heart space was, it evolved into something that was much more emotional, much more about not just studying it like it was an academic pursuit, but but looking at it in a very personal, um, soul-level way. And what Batman, it's not about, the final film is not really about Batman as a cultural force as much as he is as an inspirational, personal force. Um, and, and I think, I think that shaped the movie a lot. Oh yeah. You can definitely see how you use the symbol of Batman throughout each individual that you sit down and talk with. And you can see that, that how they use that symbol for hope and for strength. And you are able to bring that out in so many different ways with so many different people. Um, let's talk about when you were uncovering the people that you were going to interview, was there specifically one person that really truly inspired you to keep going forward each day? Uh, was there someone's story that was like, oh yeah, this is why I'm doing this? Well, you know, I don't, I don't know that I, that, that there was quite that. I mean, I definitely had some moments in the production where I, something would happen and I would just be like, wow, that was amazing. I mean, obviously one of them is that moment that, that everybody talks about that's in the, the end of the trailer of the little, little Kai saying, you know, I asked him the question, what would Batman do if he had cancer? And he said he would stand up and fight it like I did. And that became like this defining meme for what this movie was even before the movie was finished. And I think a kid like that, you know, you know, every one of these stories in the movie represents, it could represent many, many people. I mean, people ask me, were there stories that you wanted to include but you didn't? And the answer is yes, but the reason we didn't include them was because they were similar to a story that was already in the film. Um, you know, there are so many amazing cosplayers that are using their love of costuming to go into hospitals and encourage young people and inspire and help them. But, you know, Lenny was the one we chose to spotlight, but we could have spotlighted dozens of other people. You know, same with, I mean, there are dozens and dozens of people in law enforcement and civil service that are inspired by Batman and other superheroes and people in the military and, you know, uh, that are, you know, there, there are people, I mean, there are dozens of young people who have had, I mean, Bat Kid, you know, San Francisco Bat Kid is obviously the one we know, but those that have watched the internet and these kind of stories know that, that, that experiences like that 
have been going on for a decade with young people all over the country and all over the world by, you know, these wish granting foundations. San Francisco one is just the one we know about because it was such a huge blowout and the city really got behind it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for every story of Kai Sapp or Lenny Robinson or David O'Leary or Carrie Friedman, there are dozens of other stories I could have focused on. And so I think, but I think for me, going back to what I said before, my sons were kind of the anchor for this movie. I mean, I, I, as I was working to finish it, they were some of my most important critics, you know, bringing a 11 year old and an eight year old into my office and playing sections of the movie and asking them, well, what do you think? I mean, what did you think about this? Did you like this guy? Did he inspire you? And they would tell me very frankly, well, I liked this, but I didn't like that. And if they didn't like it, it came out. And if they did like it, I looked for more. Um, and so, you know, I think that was very much a driving force for me. Kyle's got a question for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, did you ever expect your film to reach the level of critical acclaim that it did? And did you foresee how many lives you'd be able to inspire with it? Or is that kind no, of surprising? No, no, ab- absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, that has been one of the most emotional parts of the journey for me is that I was, man, I, I think about eight months into production on this film when Aurora, Colorado happened. And, you know, that guy walked into that screening of The Dark Knight Rises and shot all those people mm-hmm. and said he was the Joker. And for, you know, a long minute, uh, Batman became a bad word. Right. Um, and people, you know, were talking about Batman inspiring him to do this. And they were showing scenes from Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, where a guy went into a movie theater and shot people and said, here's a guy inspired by Batman comic books to do something completely horrible. And I had people emailing me saying, I don't think you can make this movie, and I think it's in bad taste. And in fact, around that time, we sent out a press release because of some stuff we were doing. And many journalists wrote back that our press release was in really bad taste and that, you know, this movie shouldn't be made. And so, I mean, there was a time when, you know, this thing that was really important to me and I felt was an expression of my heart, I questioned not only whether I should make it, but when I did make it, would people, how would people respond to it? Um, How would they feel about it? And would they feel about it the way I felt about it? And so, you know, when we released the trailer, which was February 2013, and we released it in conjunction with a Kickstarter campaign, that was the moment when I realized, I mean, literally the three days after we released the trailer, that time period, was when I realized that this was something special because the way people were responding to the campaign and to the trailer and the press it was getting and the way it was being perceived, it was just um, it was just amazing to watch. But even at that time, I mean, that was amazing and that was incredible. But, you know, th- then I kind of felt this responsibility to do something good with it. Um, to not only finish the film, but to use it in a way that would make a positive difference and that would express the the heart of the film. And so that's when we kind of took another risk. So I mean, finishing the film and getting to that point and sharing the trailer, that was kind of a risk uh, with the experiences we've been through. But then we took another huge risk, which was instead of going the traditional route to look for distribution and go to film festivals and try to be in the film business, we decided to essentially give give the theatrical licensing. We just decided to essentially give it away, which was to allow people to request screenings of the movie at their local movie theater with the proceeds from those screenings going to local charities that they of their choosing. And that was a real gamble because if if we did that and nobody cared and nobody requested any screenings, then it was kind of like, okay, we made this great movie, but nobody sees it. Nobody engages with it. Whereas we could have gone the traditional movie route, shopped it around, tried to get a distributor that wanted to make money off of it and do that. But we decided we wanted to stay true to the heart of it. And I mean, as of this moment, the film has screened in over a hundred cities around the world, raising over $90,000 for charitable organizations. And, you know, that watching that 
that movement, that we are Batman movement, really grow and develop and evolve, you know, not only to speak to your original question, not only could I have imagined finishing a film that would be so embraced, but I couldn't have imagined watching that happen and watching it go out in that sort of way and make an impact in the world in that sort of way. And, you know, I, I, I'm just some guy living in Tampa, Florida. I couldn't have given $90,000 to charitable organizations. And yet my movie became a vehicle to do that and to inspire people. And then the success of that then led to the distribution deal that now is allowing the film to be on Netflix and iTunes and Google Play and Amazon. And in two weeks, it'll be on Hulu for free. And so, you know, that I, I couldn't have imagined that journey over a three-year period, I I, 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 it was it's stranger than fiction to me, right? And I remember seeing that trailer for the first time, and I was like, "Wow, he was able to do what many of the the actual the live action versions of Batman are unable to do: capture the real spirit of Batman." And for like for that, like I thank you because like I can show people how powerful the symbol of Batman really is and how people can use that symbol for strength. And you were able to do that with so many different, with Lenny, with Petaluma, Batman, with so many different people. So for that, like for, for that, thank you. Um, you're like, this is probably going to come off as like a really stupid, obvious question. I'm still going to ask it. Um, your film is, is able to show how people have used the symbol of Batman in inspirational ways. Uh, you know, they use it, you know, for their community, for their the fellow good of uh, the people that they are surrounded by, like their met, fellow men and women. Um, how have you, Brett Culp, used the symbol of Batman in your everyday life? You know, I, my, my story about my personal story about Batman is is not as exciting as as the people in the movie. I mean, it's you know, I love this character. He was a symbol to me of creativity i love that you know i loved him as a teenager because he was a good guy but he was also a little dark and brooding um you know as a as a bipolar teenager you know that image of the guy you know standing up by the gargoyles on the rooftop with the face dripping with rain i'm like this guy is should be in a, a music video for the cure you know i mean <laughs> It, I, I loved that about him, but that he was a good guy and that he cared and and that he experienced pain. I mean, I, a lot of superheroes, the story of most superheroes is that they're given this power and they have to make the hard choice at some point whether or not they're going to use it for their own selfish purposes or whether they're going to use it for the good of the world. And, and their struggle, particularly the origin stories, kind of revolve around that idea. You know, that's what they're in conflict about. And, and the characters we seem to love the most, you know, these anti-heroes like a Wolverine, they're in constant conflict about that. that doesn't, that's not just part of their origin story. That's literally part of nearly every story. And we, we connect to that because I think there's something in our core that understands that. But Batman is unique in that Batman it really came out of this place of pain. You know, he, he has this pain in his heart. Um, he feels, you know, it, it would be very easy for him to over, be overwhelmed by that. And he's in this position where he's rich and influential and he could use his money to just sit at home and play video games all day and eat Doritos and with, with models, supermodels and bikinis. But instead, he chooses the exact opposite route. He chooses to engage on the very front line and make a positive difference in the world. And, and I think the reason Batman connects for me is because I feel that way in my life. There are so many times in my life when I feel beat down or broken I look at the things I've gone through and the pain I've experienced, and I say to myself, can anything good come of this? Can, can this be um, a road to anything but more pain? And I think Batman, for me, and the reason I love Batman is because he's a symbol that shows, no, your pain, your difficulties, your challenges can be the inspiration to go out into the world and do something good, and that the world can be blessed because of what you've gone through. And that's the final line of the film. That is what, what Tina 
Kai's mom says at the end of the film, which is my final statement about this, which is just like Batman, whatever you've gone through, whatever pain you've experienced, whatever you've been in the middle of that, that difficulty can be the very thing that can bless the world. If you will choose to take the heroic route. Tom's got a question for you. Um, so the, the way the world works is funny, you know, have in your travels after your filmmaking, have you run into or had any contact with anybody that was featured in your film by any chance? Or would well, you be several of them were able to come to screenings. So, you know, when we did the screening in New York, in New York City, Jill Pantosi and Carrie Friedman were there because they live there mm-hmm. in Baltimore. Lenny, Lenny Robinson came. Uh, we did a screening in Petaluma for Petaluma oh, wow. Batman. He was there, of course. So, awesome. you know, we did one in Dallas, Texas that Kai and his family were able to come to. Um, so. So, yeah, to some extent. That's awesome. So yeah, I, I wish I could get everybody together in one place at one time and do like a big mega screening. But that would be you know, amazing. I have no budget for that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, you're you're obviously a busy person. Do you want to uh, talk about what you've been working on lately? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, these, these projects are my passion projects. And so, you know, I, I, I pay my bills with the other stuff I do. Uh, but, um, but right now we're working on the next film and the next film, um, is going to tell the stories of young people who have demonstrated the superhero spirit in their life. Um, you know, I, I've spent the past two, three years, living in this place really of pretty amazing, inspiring people and moments and scene. You know, I've been, I've personally been to tw- like 25 screenings of the film and um, all over the country and seeing these young people come out in their superhero costumes and capes. And, you know, that's the vision I have of young people. And so, you know, because of the, that's the world I've been living in. So um, I think we live in this world, most of us where, you know, we wake up every morning and, whether it's looking at the news or even just our social media feeds, we're overwhelmed by all this darkness and evil um, that, that goes on in the world and all this hatred. And I think because we get so inundated with it, uh, it starts to become normalized in our mind. We think that is who people are and we think that's where the future is headed. And we think that the world is a very dark uh, place. Thus, you know, our movies and even our superheroes continue to get darker and darker and, we won't accept, you know, uh, the brighter uh, sides of these superheroes. Sometimes it's a little harder to embrace that. Um, and but but that's not what I've seen. I've seen the very bright superheroes um, over the past couple of years and seen them in real life. So this next film is going to tell the stories of these young people who have really shown the superhero spirit in their life. And and our goal is. Um, to show that that iconic superhero spirit um, that I grew up with is still very much alive in the world. It's still very active, that there is hope. The core of this new movie is hope, what it is, uh, how it works, how we keep it, how we maintain it, how we get it back if we've lost it. And uh, without giving away too much, I think by the end of the experience, more people in the world will truly believe that we can fly. Oh yeah. Wow. That's, that, that's great. That sounds amazing. I can't wait for it to drop. Do you have any clue when you're, uh, when it's going to come out? Yeah. So right now in general, we're, I mean, this is my tentative loose plan. Um, we're, we're, we're four, we've captured, uh, four stories already mm-hmm. and we've captured uh, three or four more interviews with experts, including we did an interview with Neil Gaiman a couple of months ago, which awesome. was just awesome. Um, and, um, we've got a very busy shooting schedule over the summer and early fall. In fact, my wife, every time we look at the schedule, she's kind of like, ah, uh, <laughs> wrote a lot. Um, and I'm hoping that my oldest son can come with me on some of the trips, but, um, anyway, so we've got a lot of filming going on. And then I think right now our target is in the fall, maybe late September, early October to go ahead and release the trailer to do a crowdfunding campaign to go with it, to give us the funding we need to really finish 
Um, because I can give my time to these films, right. but there's a hard cost to all this. And, you know, when you get to the end is when you get to the expensive stuff, just, the coloring, the audio mix, <laughs> the licensing, the music, the composer, all of that stuff that goes with all that. And so we, we hope we'll be able to do that. And then my goal is by, you know, end of next summer, tw- summer 2016, to start up, you know, this theme theatrical campaign to uh, do ch- as many charity screenings as we can all over the world and uh, do the same kind of plan we've done with Legends of the Night. So, And we've had so much support along the way, and I, I hope that those that have supported us with Legends will continue to support us with this next film. Wow, man. Brett Culp, uh, follow him on Twitter, at Brett Culp. Legends of the Night, amazing flick. We cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. We cannot wait till your new movie comes out either. It sounds amazing. Oh, my, my pleasure. And thank you guys for staying in touch. I said to my wife this morning, the reason I did this podcast was because you guys were persistent, but kind. Oh, absolutely. I have have some people that are persistent and not kind, but some people that are kind and not persistent. And uh, the ones I end up jumping on are those that are both. So thanks for being both. It has been our pleasure completely. And thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. Thanks guys. Have a great night.